From Indianapolis, with an eye on every corner of Indiana, this is IBJ Media's Inside Indiana Business with Gary Dick. Presented by Ice Miller and Indiana University. IU Health is stamping its footprint to create a massive multi-billion dollar medical corridor in downtown Indianapolis. How innovation at 16 Tech fits into the plan. Plus, feeding the one in six Hoosiers who don't get enough food to eat. What Gleaners Food Bank of Indiana is doing to tackle the problem. And the Jim Ursay collection hits Lucas Oil Stadium. A kickoff to the Colts season with the likes of Mellencamp, Buddy Guy, and Hart legend Ann Wilson. It's all ahead on this week's Inside Indiana Business. Hello and welcome to Inside Indiana Business. I'm Gary Dick. It has been talked about, dreamed about for decades, a health and life sciences corridor near downtown Indianapolis. And with billions of dollars of investment now in place or under construction, there are indications those dreams are moving toward reality. IU Health well underway in its construction on a planned $2 billion hospital and medical campus along West 16th Street, one of the largest hospital projects in the entire nation. It is a nearly 50-acre site expected one day to be home to more than 6,000 employees. Not far from that project is what is envisioned as the anchor of the corridor, the $500 million 16 Tech Innovation District. That's a project that spanned four mayoral administrations and is now a hub for research, technology, and entrepreneurship, all designed to attract and keep scientific talent and professionals in Indianapolis. In fact, some suggest 16 Tech can be an anchor for a 65-mile high-tech corridor extending all the way to Purdue University. And at the helm at 16 Tech during this transformational time, the new president and CEO, Emily Kruger, who just took over after uh, Bob Coy retired. Business of Health reporter Kylie Valletta here now with her conversation uh, and a vision for the future. Kylie. That's right. It's really starting to take shape downtown. Well, the CEO role is new to her. Kruger has been part of the team at 16 Tech since 2018 as chief operating officer. The life sciences and medical innovation sector is only a piece of 16 Tech, but it's a major strength. The Indiana Biosciences Research Institute is headquartered there and has shared wet labs, the only place in central Indiana where life sciences startups have access to that type of lab space. And with IU Health's medical corridor project well underway downtown, 16 Tech will serve as a major connector. That link will soon be made even stronger. In just a matter of days, crews will break ground on a new bridge connecting 16 Tech's mission to the vision for the new medical corridor. Well, we're right at the center of it. Uh, you mentioned IU Health uh, to our north, IU School of Medicine to our south. Roughly 25% of the tenants that are currently located in 16 Tech are in the life sciences or adjacent to healthcare. Uh, there's also the investment that's happening at the GM stamping plan and the headquarters for Alenco. And if you extend that down to Anthem and Lilly's corporate presence, we've got a concentration of both research, a university, and uh, industry assets. And 16 Tech is really the place where all of those can come together. We're um, uh, going to break ground this fall on a bridge, which will cross Fall Creek and connect the 16 Tech Innovation District to uh, the hospitals to our south, as well as the IUPUI campus. And um, this is a really important physical connection uh, to downtown. And it's one that we're excited because it will enhance the flow of people that go back and forth between 16 Tech and downtown as well. This 
this marks the, the second phase of development for 16 Tech, and uh, it also enables us um, uh, to create access to additional development sites in the district. And so our goal as we move forward is to really attract more of these specialized resources and development to, to 16 Tech. While 16 Tech is in close proximity to major medical players downtown, Kruger says it's had the perception of being a bit isolated. So the bridge will provide a direct connection. So an exciting time at 16 Tech. And I think that connectivity piece is really interesting because I know in addition to the, the physical connection uh, to 16 Tech and some of these other assets, there are also tubes and all kinds <laughs> of uh, cool connectivity for medical supplies, devices, and all that kind of Yeah, this is actually a fun piece of trivia. There's a tube that connects an IU facility north of 16 Tech, crosses the creek, and goes to the IU School of Medicine Radiology Department. And they send radio pharmaceuticals through this tube. It's a mile long. It takes about 80 seconds because radio yeah. pharmaceuticals have a really short shelf life. In about 80 seconds, they can get them where they need to be. So they say this, they've been moving medical supplies along this route for a while. So this bridge is symbolic in a way. Now they're going to start moving cars yeah. and people too because it's a pedestrian-friendly bridge. With the bridge. Yeah, hey, uh, quickly, building one when it opened out there. It didn't open to much fanfare because it opened right in the middle of, a, of the pandemic. It was in the thick of the pandemic yeah. and we covered it and it was a beautiful building, but it was pretty empty. And so she says it's a really neat thing right now to see this building, mm -hmm. the whole area in 16 Tech come to life. It's really blossomed into the active place it's supposed to be. Kyla Villada, great information on 16 Tech and that medical corridor. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. All right. Well, Purdue University remains in rarefied air. News this week that Purdue remains among the top universities in the world for innovation. The Intellectual Property Owners Association and the National Academy of Inventors are out with their annual list of the top 100 universities in the world to be granted U.S. utility patents in 2021. For the second consecutive year, the Purdue Research Foundation ranked number six in the world with 169 patents, which is also tops in the Big Ten. Indiana University ranked number 73 on that list. The top three, the University of California system at number one, followed by MIT and the University of Texas system. You can see the full list at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Well, basketball has been in the cards as a career for Thad Modest since he was born in the tiny town of Hoopston, Illinois, just a stone's throw away from the Indiana border. He's my guest on the next Business and Beyond podcast. Mata returns to the bench as Butler's head coach this season after health issues forced him away from the game he loves for several years. He shared his thoughts on what it's like climbing the ladder to be the guy and calling the shots uh, that uh, and really what happened when he was uh, as an assistant at Maya of Ohio in the late 90s. He got a call from Butler to join the staff. I said, hey, I got offered a job at Butler. And he said, I said, don't worry, I'm not going to take it. He says, no, no, no. He says, you have to take the job. Huh? I said, what? He goes, Barry Collier's trying to get out of Butler. You're going to be the next head coach of Butler. Just that, you know, you think of all the, the stories uh, or all the times that you had as an assistant, you know, hoping and, and praying that you got your chance to be a head coach. And I've always said this. I'm I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I'd be the first to admit it of, of how things happen for me. But, uh, you know, you I, I did pay my dues. There's, there's no question yeah. about it. I think it's one of the most fascinating aspects of coaching that nobody talks about. Much more with Butler head basketball coach Thad Mata on this week's Business and Beyond podcast. You can find it at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Coming up next, rolling north to the RV capital of the world where the economy is taking on a new direction. More on what's driving growth with Elkhart Mayor Rod Robertson.
Well, there are increasing signs that Elkhart is about more than RVs. From the refurbished historic Hotel Elkhart to major riverfront development to a new aquatic center, the RV capital of the world is changing with more on what's fueling the economic momentum there. I'm pleased to be joined by Elkhart Mayor Rod Robertson, uh, who joins me from his office uh, in Elkhart. Mayor, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet. Hey, well, I mentioned a couple of things going on, and there is a lot of activity uh, in Elkhart, Elkhart County as well. Uh, the Wall Street Journal recognized Elkhart as the number one emerging market in the country for housing. So you're getting national attention uh, now. What's what's fueling this momentum? Well, it's 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 a couple of things, quite frankly. Um, those the indices that they use in order to uh, create that designation, one we're very proud of. But it really speaks to the amenities that have occurred in Elkhart even before I took the baton as mayor. Uh, we have. Uh, changed uh, our way of looking at economic development like most legacy cities, uh, meaning cities that were huge manufacturing. Uh, we do contribute to the manufacturing equation in the state um, uh, and we do well with it. But but what's important is that amenities drive that. Yeah. And what has occurred with those amenities and those indices that Wall Street Journal has used is, is that the things that we're doing for quality of place, quality of life is starting to really re-benefit uh, to bringing companies here as well as individuals to live here. Uh, and so these designations are a, uh, a product of that. Yeah, uh, interesting. I know you use some regional cities money for some of the uh, the activity up there, again, along the riverfront, uh, mm -hmm. number mm -hmm. of, of projects. You mentioned the RV sector, so important to that region and will continue to be uh, be so, but you're really diversifying. that The RV piece continues to be important, but uh, kind of diversifying the economy. It's important that we do um, RV uh, RVs and the suppliers. Don't forget the suppliers, the mm -hmm. RV industry, the OEMs and the suppliers have driven us for many decades. And we obviously want to make sure that we continue to keep them robust and strong. But what has occurred is that because of of that relationship, uh, the suppliers have gained momentum so that they are really providing uh, diversification opportunities for many of the industries. Uh, and so when you combine what we've done with quality of place mm -hmm. with the supplier base, uh, we are seeing uh, burgeoning industries and medical supply companies that actually use some of the same materials uh, that the RV industry use. We've seen uh, Amazon, which um, uh, which is uh, obviously going to build one of their largest uh, distribution centers uh, east of the Mississippi, uh, right here in Elkhart. And it's so important to us because logistics are, is, is basically a, a hidden gem for Elkhart. Uh, we sit right in the middle of four major metropolitan hubs in uh, the Midwest. And we carry products to and from in such, a, you know, with, with efficiency. So we have companies like Amazon that look at us from a logistical standpoint, but also from the standpoint of how uh, our industry or how our relationship mm -hmm. to those those hubs help them uh, be able to move their products. So we're getting logistical companies that are actually coming outside of Amazon yeah. and asking for warehouse space, asking uh, whether or not there are opportunities to locate here as well. I know Amazon came to you with that opportunity. So uh, a lot happening in Elkhart. Mayor Rod Robertson, uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Look forward to visiting uh, with you soon up north. Uh, look forward to having you. We have a wonderful 100-year hotel that will sleep you <laughs> so well. The Elkhart Hotel is waiting for you, Gary. Okay, great. Mayor, thanks very much. Have a great weekend.
Well, it's time now for Eye on Education. Students pursuing a career in the hospitality industry at Ivy Tech Community College in Bloomington. They're getting some real life experience at French Lake Resort. The school has entered a partnership with the resort to offer paid internships starting with the fall semester. The internship is for students enrolled in the Hospitality Administration and Culinary Arts and Baking and Pastry program. The resort includes two Four Diamond Historic Hotels, two golf courses, two spas, and more than a dozen food and beverage venues. It also has a casino, and importantly, this paid work experience counts toward an associate degree. The National Science Foundation has awarded a five-year grant to Ball State University's College of Sciences and Humanities. The $750,000 grant designed to increase retention and graduation rates among academically talented and low-income students in chemistry and biology. The foundation will provide scholarships to 16 undergraduate students. Ball State says it will focus on students from Muncie Central High School, the Indiana Academy for Science, Mathematics, and Humanities, and Burris Laboratory School. Well, the Cam and Schellinger Brewery in Mishawaka, a blast from the past of a once thriving area along the riverfront there. Why it landed on Indiana's 10 most endangered list again this year and how it could be saved. That's coming up. This is Alex Brown. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand. This twice-daily podcast features our statewide Inside Indiana Business radio reports with additional bonus content that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. You can listen now on the podcast page at InsideIndianaBusiness.com or subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Indiana Treasures on the brink of extinction. Indiana Landmarks recently released its annual 10 Most Endangered list. Again this year, we're showcasing those Hoosier jewels and what is needed to save them. One repeat location on the list from 2021, the long-abandoned Cam and Schellinger Brewery along the St. Joseph River in northern Indiana. Around Indiana, reporter Mary Rachel Redmond has more from Mishawaka. One beautiful beer. The oldest known recipe in the world is beer. A dry beer, a mellow beer, a hearty beer. In fact, some historians even credit the cold one with the rise of civilization itself. Or thirst-quenching refreshment. So one could argue America's earliest breweries should be considered hallowed ground, especially if they're still standing. It may not be a Coors or a Budweiser, but in its day... Cam and Schellinger was quite the operation. And then Cam and Schellinger, they may not have been one of the largest industries of Mishawaka, but they had lots of products and their name was everywhere. But it was brothers-in-law Adolf Cam and Nicholas Schellinger, both German immigrants, that would make the Cam and Schellinger Brewing Company one of Mishawaka's most celebrated manufacturers. Cam Schellinger Brewery started in 1853. The Cam family, there are two houses. Um, this house and that house were family homes. Mrs. Cam at one time cooked for the workers. So it was a family affair. One of my favorite parts is that in the Prohibition, they started making uh, root beer and other types of things. When Prohibition ended, Cam's was the state's first brewing operation to resume making beer. And production hit an all-time high. So much so, it sponsored the number 47 Cam Special in the 1938 Indianapolis 500. It was a successful family-run business for almost 100 years. But the prosperity wouldn't last. 
1951, the brewery permanently closed. It would see new life, though, in the late 60s, when developers adapted the site into a popular complex of shops and restaurants known as the 100 Center. It was the place to be uh, until the 1980s when the new malls were built up north of town and, and kind of the energy shifted and this has kind of been a slow decline since then. We're not able to get inside the building so even as a city because we have an out-of-town owner um, so we don't know the uh, situation with the um, state of the building inside but structurally it still looks pretty darn good. It's for. solid masonry. You've yeah. got a building built out of brick and concrete. You've got this piece that's kind of kind of coming off, and behind it, you've got you know these metal bars kind of blocking windows. These. A lot of different things going on back here, which I think is part of the fun of this site. And to me, the best part is the fact that this is on the St. Joseph River. It's an amazing location. We talked about the river was part of what really ran the factory. It looks like a moat to me. It's kind of, this <laughs> kind of surrounds the, the, the building. And yeah. this was the water that sourced the power. It was the water that sourced the power that ran the Cam Brewery. This back here is fabulous. It just shows all of the different eras of this building from the 18, you know, 60s and 70s, and then later additions and all the way through the 19 teens, 20s and 30s, including the Ice House, which is the large building here uh, on the right. Random fun fact. The Ice House owned Indiana's first artificial ice machine in 1889. They would use that building to help cool uh, and ice down uh, the beer until they started making root beer. Um, you know. <laughs> and that was for prohibition. Yeah, that was prohibition. Yeah, root beer had to had to do something. Um, <laughs> and so the, the tall building here, which I think also offers lots of opportunities for reuse. You can put a lot of different things inside this large, tall building yeah. um, and, and really bring it back to life again hopefully with more heat than it did when it was an ice house. <laughs> now to the front of the building. Certainly lots here that could be worked with to bring a lot of character back into a new use, but just real dynamic um, facades and it's time, it needs, it needs a new life. It's one of the oldest structures left in the city of Mishawaka. From an historical standpoint, it's worth it. It's Mary Rachel Redmond from earlier this year in Mishawaka. Well, Gleaners Food Bank of Indiana is taking a bold step in bridging the food gap. It's a big problem in Indiana. One in six Hoosiers don't get enough to eat. So Gleaners is tackling that issue head on through a $25 million fundraising effort called the Community Campaign for Gleaners. Lily Endowment pumping in $5.5 million that will fund a freezer expansion, technology upgrades, among other initiatives. We also caught up this week with Gleaners President and CEO Fred Glass, an incoming CEO, to get his take on what he brings to the table. I think it'll benefit me to have external eyes mm -hmm. that I'm not from this world. Mm -hmm. uh, like I think it benefited me at IU, not uh, being from the athletic director mm -hmm. world. So I'm going to start by listening. Gleaners has already raised $17 million of that $25 million goal. Well, it is billed as a one-stop shop for employers and individuals to navigate workforce challenges. And the Indiana Chamber believes it can help attract companies to the state as well. The Talent Resource Navigator is free. It's a web-based tool that links users with a wide range of resources, including connections to state agencies, educational institutions, and data on in-demand careers. With more on the way. If you're uh, an employer thinking about coming to Indiana, you know 
the community you want to look in, we can very easily begin to pull by zip code, by uh, community level data that we have, what's available locally, what, what type of training programs, what sector are they serving. Um, in the future, we're, we're going to continue to build in wraparound services into that as well. So, you know, what transportation resources are available, childcare, those types of things that an employer is really looking at the holistic elements of a community. They're not just looking at degrees, right? And so we want to make sure that we provide that big picture so that we can tell an accurate story of what's happening in Indiana. The Talent Resource Navigator was launched with the help of a $2.5 million grant from Lilly Endowment. Well, an NFL football team owner and rock and roller at heart. Next, details on the Jim Ursay collection, a big shindig in downtown Indy, and the chances of an Ursay museum landing in Indiana. Well, what do you get when you put John Mellencamp, Buddy Guy, and Hart's Ann Wilson on stage for a jam session with the owner of an NFL team? Well, you get the Jim Ursay Band, the Colts owner putting on a star-studded musical event to kick off the NFL season at Lucas Oil Stadium. The IBJ's Dave Lindquist joins us now uh, to explain how this is part of maybe a bigger picture. Dave, uh, coming to us from the IBJ headquarters downtown. Dave, uh, the talent at this show was really great, especially for a free event. It was a pretty star-studded event. So the drummer in this band is uh, Kenny Aronoff, an IU grad who played with John Mellencamp for many years. And I talked to Kenny the other day, and I was slightly surprised when he said that uh, he's known Jim Irsay for 35 years. And he said Jim Irsay cares about music as much as he cares about football. <laughs> so in, in Jim's high-profile life through the years, he's befriended people like Stephen Stills, Mike Mills from R.E.M., um, a lot of different, yeah, that's fascinating. And this is part of, I don't know if you call it a tour, or would you, uh, Dave? A number of these uh, musical events that he has ha held around the country. And as I understand it, uh, the event held this weekend at, at Lucas Oil, kind of bigger and better than some of those other productions. Right, so in addition to befriending musicians, uh, Jim Mercer has spent the last few years amassing a one-of-a-kind collection of pop culture artifacts. Uh, guitars previously previously owned by all members of the Beatles, Ringo Starr's drum kit from 1964, David Gilmore's guitar, a guitar owned by Prince, and a guitar owned by uh, Kurt Cobain of Nirvana. And uh, since last summer, he's been taking it to uh, cities across the United States and showing it off. Yeah. Hey, well, I want to talk about that because I talked with Jim Irsay on my Business and Beyond podcast earlier this year, and he talked about the collection and his interest, at least at the time, in uh, creating a standalone museum for it. Here's what he had to say. $100 million of, of, of artifacts and different things into this facility. And I'm not looking to make money, but, but there ha it has to be displayed, shown the right place. And, and, and if it doesn't work out, you know, I can't keep it in, in the city or state. I have to go to Nashville or Austin, and I don't want to. All right, Dave, you're hearing, though, that maybe that permanent location for a museum isn't in the cards now. What, what, what are you hearing on that front? So I think the, the acknowledged perception when he started the tour is that he was auditioning cities for a museum. Uh, Indianapolis, of course, uh, a lot of people in town would love to have it. It would be quite a an asset for the city. Um, but he gave an interview in New York a few weeks ago where he kind of tweaked that idea. I yeah. think he's having such a great time playing music with these world-class musicians that he's talking about kind of an open-ended tour. 
So we will we see. We'll see how that goes, Dave. We're out of time right now. Thanks for joining us. It's all the time we have for this week's show. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Inside Indiana Business Television podcast. Remember, you can get the latest business news from every corner of the state at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Go out and make it a successful week.